Have you ever asked yourself, how will the world end? Well, it won't be because of science fiction space monsters, although I do believe that the Bible teaches that asteroids of some kind will be involved during God's judgments in the future time period, known as the Great Tribulation. But the churches are not asking the question of how this Bible ends. And most churches certainly are not teaching about the end of the book. It's disheartening how many leaders claiming to be Christians are scoffing at the second coming of Jesus. If they will admit to it at all, they say the second coming of Jesus is something spiritual, like Jesus coming into a person's heart. Liberal theologians don't even go there because they allegorize or dumb down the scriptures. And due to a large part of the church failing to give the world real answers, a lot of people are full of anxiety right now, which makes them ripe for deceptions. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Modern mockers call the second coming of Jesus a myth and even some modern theologians don't dare talk about it. Instead, they attempt to explain it away, or they try simply to spiritualize it. But scoffers, atheists, and liberal theologians are denying a cardinal doctrine of the Bible and the church. The second coming is the clear teaching of not only the Messiah, but also his apostles. Unfaithful theologians do much harm by setting people up for end-time deceptions. Just in America alone, some 40 million Americans live with anxiety each year, and that's according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And the problems associated with anxiety are reportedly far more prevalent in women than in men. Panic attacks are common. In fact, I want to tell you about an episode involving anxiety and deception in modern history. On October the 30th, 1938, on the eve of Halloween, which is increasingly a wicked day and night of mischief, 
doomsday seemed to have arrived. On that date, supposedly killing machines from the planet of Mars took over America. Or that's what nearly a million radio listeners supposedly believed for a couple of hours. This month, we've passed the 82nd anniversary of the War of the Worlds broadcast by Orson Welles. His drama on the CBS radio network was an adaptation of a science fiction novel written in 1898 by H.G. Wells. It is said to be the first fictional story about a human conflict and defeat by an extraterrestrial race. The novel has also been made into a number of movies, but the radio show was what we would call today fake news. It was a bogus report of alien invaders from Mars, and it struck fear into the hearts of many listeners who were convinced that the fictional story was a real live broadcast. In fact, The Night That Panicked America was a subsequent docufilm made about the infamous radio broadcast. And one media producer observed that the misunderstood radio broadcast demonstrated that fear can overcome even the most rational parts of our brains. Well, as I said, the Orson Welles radio broadcast was performed live as a Halloween episode and became famous for allegedly causing panic among its listening audience. Although the scale of panic has been disputed, still it's important to emphasize that such a thing can work fear into people's minds. The one-hour program began with theme music for the Mercury Theater on the Air, and it also began with an announcement that the evening show was an adaptation of the novel, The War of the Worlds, a work of complete fiction. But many people tuning in late may have not heard the introduction. Orson Welles read a prologue which was closely based on the opening of the novel, but was modified to move the story's setting to the current day. For the next 20 minutes, the broadcast was presented as a typical evening of radio programming being interrupted by a series of news bulletins. The first few bulletins described a series of odd explosions observed on the planet Mars, followed by a seemingly unrelated report of an unusual object falling from the sky on a farm in the American state of New Jersey. The musical program returned briefly before being interrupted again, this time by a live report from New Jersey, where police officials and a crowd of onlookers were surrounding a strange object that had fallen from the sky. The situation escalated when Martians emerged from the spacecraft and attacked the onlookers using some sort of a ray gun. A panicked reporter described everything until his audio feed abruptly died. All of this was followed by a rapid-fire series of increasingly alarming news updates detailing a devastating alien invasion taking place around the country. And efforts of the American military to stop the alien takeover were seemingly futile. Now, the first portion of the show climaxed with another supposedly live report from a Manhattan rooftop as giant Martian war machines released clouds of poisonous smoke across New York City. 
The reporter described desperate New Yorkers fleeing and dropping like flies. And eventually he coughed and fell silent while a lone ham radio operator was heard mournfully calling, is there anyone on the air? But no response. Only then did the program take its first break. The second half of the show shifted to a conventional radio drama format and followed a survivor played by Orson Welles dealing with the aftermath of the invasion by giant tripod-like creatures and the ongoing Martian occupation of planet Earth. The fictional broadcast went on to claim that 7,000 soldiers and a fleet of army planes had been called in to fight off the invaders, but the military's effort was unsuccessful. One actor interviewee said in the show, they wrecked the greatest country in the world. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're licked. So the famous War of the Worlds broadcast supposedly tricked some of its listeners into believing that a Martian invasion was actually taking place due to the breaking news style of storytelling. The illusion of realism was enhanced because the program was sustained without commercial interruptions. The hour-long broadcast concluded with Wells breaking character to assure listeners that what they had just heard was a Halloween prank, but the warning came too late for many listeners. The following day, the New York Daily News reported unbelievable scenes of terror in New York, New Jersey, the South, and as far west as San Francisco. Without waiting for further details, thousands of listeners had rushed from their homes in New York and New Jersey, many with towels across their faces to protect themselves from the mysterious gas which the invader was supposed to be spewing forth. The newspaper went on to report that 15 persons were treated for shock in a New Jersey hospital, and a woman in Pittsburgh tried to commit suicide upon hearing of the fictional attack. In the following days, widespread outrage was expressed in the media. The program's news bulletin format was described as deceptive. Newspapers especially have been accused of exaggerating the situation, and all of the confusion led to an outcry against the broadcasters and calls for regulation by the Federal Communications Commission. The episode certainly secured the fame of Orson Welles as a dramatist. He was just 23 years old at the time. Two nights before the broadcast, he had reportedly scrapped much of the original script believing that he had found a more creative way to make listeners pay attention. So now, many years later, when I was researching this event, people were told that there was a great variety of reactions. Some people panicked, but there was not mass panic. There was a lot of momentary confusion. One article I read explained that people in 1938 were not gullible. Their confusion and fear resulted from a perfect storm of emotions and events as a result of living through the Great Depression and then witnessing the beginning tensions leading to World War II. Furthermore, the population had become accustomed to hearing breaking news interruptions on the radio to report the worst, such as the Hindenburg air disaster, and just months before, scientists had begun speculating about life on Mars. 
Well, all of this, I believe, relates to our times if we fast forward to today. Although the Lord told us not to be anxious that he has overcome the world and that he will return to fix the world, nevertheless, we're living amongst a lot of nervous and anxious people. Think how jittery people are right now due to a number of factors piling on all at once, such as confusion over the coronavirus and vaccines, political uncertainties, panic buying and hoarding, corruption in politics, big tech censorship, questions concerning big pharma, conspiracy theories in the media, and so forth. Furthermore, there are great questions over ongoing daily deception in the media and over believability. Jesus warned us that the chief characteristic of the end of the age will be deception. And so constantly we have to guard against it. I believe more than ever as we see the day of the Lord approaching. But if we have a strong hope that the Lord will return and set up a righteous government, we can cope a lot better. The New Testament admonishes us to keep our minds fixed upon the Lord so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. 1 John 3, 3 says, And all who have this eager expectation of the Lord's coming will keep themselves pure just as the Lord is pure. So believing, friends, I want to assure you that it is our blessed hope that Jesus will soon appear. And that's why it's important to live in the light of the Lord's soon return. He is coming again. And at his coming, he will appear and we will see him and we will become like him, the Bible says, because we will be with him in glory. In 2 Timothy 4.8, the Apostle Paul said, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And he said, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's amazing. Do you love the Lord's appearing? I certainly do. That means that is the easiest crown to achieve amongst all the crowns that will be awarded to believers someday. For example, the soul winner's crown has to be earned. The martyr's crown is also earned. But there's also a crown, according to the verse I've just mentioned, that is just given to those who simply love the Lord's appearing. That means the Lord will reward those who honor and greatly anticipate the doctrine of his second coming. So what about the end of history, as I mentioned in the opening of today's program? Why aren't churches teaching this vital information that Jesus will return? We don't need to worry about climate change and invasions of UFOs and the planet of the apes because Jesus promised he will return. And Jesus' disciples remembered that he had promised them in John chapter 14, I'm going away to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The disciples saw and heard the testimony as well of the two witnesses dressed in white robes who appeared at the ascension of Jesus to heaven. These two witnesses said in Acts 1, 11, 
You men of Galilee, why do you just stand here looking up at the sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from among you to heaven will come as certainly as he has left. The disciples and the two witnesses in white apparel literally saw Jesus ascend physically. And they were told he will descend again to the earth physically. This verse is telling us that the very way Jesus left the earth is the way he will come back in the clouds and he will be visible, a very real person. He ascended in a physical body and he'll return from heaven in a visible bodily form. So never discount the second coming. It is a major historic and cardinal doctrine of the church. I want to admonish every believer and certainly every leader claiming to be a Christian that Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. You see, disbelieving in the second coming of Jesus amounts to having an evil heart of unbelief. The verse also claims such an attitude means that a person is into apostasy because it said, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, furthermore, here's something important to ponder. Just as there were many aspects to the Lord's first coming, such as his incarnation, his virgin birth, his appearing in the temple, his father's house, at the age of 12, and then later various events during his three years of ministry, including the fulfillments of hundreds of prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, plus the fundamental events of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Let's see, I've mentioned at least eight components to his first coming, as well as the hundreds of individual fulfillments of various Bible prophecies. So now, similarly, it should not be surprising that there will also be many aspects to his second coming. You see, his second coming involves a lot of verses that could not all be fulfilled simultaneously, just as his first coming was not fulfilled simultaneously all in one day. First of all, Jesus will come in the atmosphere for his saints at a time that is unexpected. This is what the scriptures call in Bible language the catching away, the great snatch of the completed church. In John 14, 1, Jesus told us, I'll remind you where he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. So Jesus promised that he is, first of all, going to come for us and take us away with him to his Father's house. And all believers in the Lord will leave earth in that wonderful and rapturous event called the haparzo, the catching away suddenly of all believers, just as a bride is abducted by her bridegroom and they elope. Paul told us the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, he said, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. 
So a first aspect of the Lord's coming is that the dead in Christ will be raised into imperishable body suits. And then a second element is that those believers who happen to be alive at that time will be instantly transformed and also given immortal, eternal body suits without ever having to die. That is when the Lord will come for his saints. But then other Bible verses teach a further aspect of the second coming. That is when the Lord will come visibly to the earth with his saints. And in between the details of the Lord's coming to remove his saints and his return with his saints to take over the government of the world and to destroy Antichrist will be a period of time. Just as everything that the Lord did on his first coming was accomplished over a period of time and not in a single instance or a single day. The Jeremiah 30 verse 7 time of Jacob's trouble corresponds to the final week of seven years, the so-called 70th week in the book of Daniel, when a covenant is made with the Antichrist. And at the end of the great tribulation, the Lord will return with his saints. And in the New Testament, Matthew 24, 21 describes the great tribulation as being a time more devastating than any period of history since the beginning of the world, as does Daniel 12, 1. And unless those days are cut short, no life will be saved. But for the sake of the elect who are the Jewish people being saved during the great tribulation, those days will be shortened. And those new believers amongst the Jewish people and the saved nations will then populate the Lord's kingdom when he returns to earth with his saints to restore the kingdom to Israel. This is explained as the time of the separation of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25 verses 31 and 32, which says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Now in Revelation chapter 19, the apostle John had a vision of the second coming in which he saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war and his eyes or as a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who are these armies that have been clothed in clean white linen? Well, theologians say that these are the redeemed. So St. John paints a picture of the Lord returning with his saints, with the church, and he will rule the world with a rod of iron, and on him is written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in the following chapter, chapter 20 of Revelation, we see Satan is bound and the Lord's thousand-year kingdom is established with various thrones. This is because the original Jewish apostles were promised by the Lord that they will reign over the 12 tribes of Israel. So, first the Lord comes for his church then Israel is redeemed during the Great Tribulation, and afterwards the kingdom is established on earth when the Lord returns with his glorified saints. 
redeemed Israel and the saved sheep nations will populate the earth in the millennium. Climate change will no longer be an issue. The curse will be reversed. All of creation, the lion and the lamb, will dwell peaceably together. So the Lord could appear at any moment. Therefore, I'm asking God to endow each and everyone watching this or listening to the podcast to endow you with a double portion of courage, grace, and hope to live victorious lives during these times when so many people are prone to panic. I don't know if you've ever experienced a panic attack. They say anxiety can set in slowly or suddenly just wash over you in a panic attack. And the symptoms are terrible. Fear rises in your chest without warning. Your heart begins to race and often you have trouble falling asleep. But I want to encourage you with 2 Timothy 4.18, which promises, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Amen. You see, it's not that we need to be healed from anxiety. We just need more of the Lord and his Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we repent of our sins and believe in the Savior, acknowledging our need of him, he comes to live in us and abide with us, and His presence is the antidote to anxiety. So I encourage you to invite the Lord into your life immediately if you have not done so. I've never known one person to ever regret making Jesus their Lord and Savior. It's so precious that His presence never leaves us nor forsakes us. And one day He's coming physically to take us to be with him forever. But during the time of the great tribulation in the future, the Lord forewarned in Luke 21, 26, that people will faint from fear and anxiety over what is coming upon the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The commentaries on that verse tell us that the verb translated here about people fainting from fear is unique here in the New Testament but the original Greek word would have been used by a medical doctor, and the writer of the Gospel of Luke was a physician. The word describes leaving off breathing to swoon. Men's hearts failing them is an expression denoting the highest terror, a terror so great that people will faint and be ready to die because of the approaching calamities. However, the Lord repeatedly warned his disciples against false alarms that would cause confusion. The Lord indicated that distress of nations, perplexity, and faint-heartedness will precede his second coming, but his people are not to share in this fear. As soon as the judgment signs begin, Jesus said we are to lift up our heads and be assured that our redemption is drawing near. The outlook for the world may be wintry, but it's summertime for the saints of God. Amen. In the meantime, I want to invite you to explore our informative website, exploits.tv, which is updated daily with reports on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer a free library of videos that you can watch 24-7 and we also invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine, Exploits. 
based upon Daniel 11.32, a verse that declares the people who know their God will be strong. We won't be weak because we're going to accomplish exploits, meaning we'll do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. I want you to feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media, or you can watch our programs on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. Well, today in a world where so many people are anxious and lost, I want to leave you with verses from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Jesus. Amen. Well, until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha.